This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Hey, sports fans. Coach Nick here, and welcome to the B-Ball Breakdown live NBA draft show circa 19, uh, sorry, 2018. Uh, we've had a little bit of difficulties, and I almost feel like it is 1918 because of how hard it was to get everybody in here. Uh, F you to Wirecast, big F you. And, uh, but hey, thank you guys for coming on the show. We have Dave Dufour and Adam Stanko to break down live what's going on. So, hey, guys, what's happening? Not a lot. Uh, Aiden just went number one, just as uh, basically everyone kind of predicted and knew, you know, uh, through uh, source information. And, and also, you know, Aiden, Aiden stands to potentially be a Hall of Fame big man. I mean, the guy's got incredible offensive skill. It can play inside and out. Great passer out of double teams and things like that. Can actually put the ball on the floor a little bit. The only question marks uh, to my mind, and, and you know, Adam, I'm curious your opinion on this, is the defensive end. Will he come around on that end? Yeah, it's a great question, and I agree with you. I mean, I think you look at his offensive skill set, and the guy is so complete. Steps out, hits 12 to 15 footers consistently. He actually showed some three-point range, even though he didn't shoot that well. It wasn't part of his game, really, at the college level, but he has that ability. His footwork's great. Defensively, as you point out, I think it's a big question mark. Uh, He's got the physical tools to be there. It, it was more to me off the ball and not guarding guys off switches on the perimeter. He, he can get low, get in a stance and actually hang with, with guards. It was more so the fact that when bigs, obviously he was away from the ball. It didn't have the, when his guy didn't have the ball, he wasn't getting a lot of those off ball blocks that some of the great centers of all time, which I think I want to start to compare him to the Ewings, the Robinsons, uh, the Elijah ones. That's the one thing I think he was missing. So I love DeAndre. I think he will pick it up. I just think that's awareness, and I think that just comes with time. Fair enough. I, I think I agree. I kind of, you know, I have a love affair with Doncic, and I thought it'd be a nice little reunion with him and the coach Kokoskov, uh, excuse me, Kokoskov of uh, of Phoenix now, but uh, who coached him in the national team uh, in Slo- of Slovenia. But either way, uh, yeah. I mean, listen, Aiden is the one guy I suppose that you can't pass up because of his size and skill, right? I mean, there's other guys who are in who look a little bit like him as far as uh, the, the size of his body and the things that they could do. We have other guys like Bagley in that realm, but it seems like Aiden is definitely on. I think it's fair to say he's on a different level. As an athlete, I mean, the guy is just, I mean, he's otherworldly. He, he, he really reminds me of David Robinson, the way he's built and, and how his feet move. I mean, he moves his feet like a guard. It's pretty impressive. Yeah, the guy's 7'1", 250. I mean, to see a guy move, as Dave describes, at that size is just unheard of. I, again, you talk about the Shaqs, the Ewings, the Olajuwans, the Robinsons. Those are the, the great centers, and, and he's there with them. Absolutely. Okay, interesting. So David Robinson, you would say, is his ceiling then, right, Adam? I, I think he could be beyond that because I think his ability to shoot the ball and his size. I mean, he's ripped like Robinson is, but I think he's even bigger and he's going to get bigger. I think, I think the question for me is how much is this draft class going to change the way we look at bigs in the NBA? And that's what I'm most curious about to find out from you two. It's that all of a sudden we're going to see Bagley enter the league, Jackson enter the league, and Aiton most notably – our team's going to play, you know, four out, one in, 
and throw it down to the post. I mean, are we going to start to see some post play make a return? I mean, things run in cycles sometimes, and we've been getting away from that. I'm just curious as to what you guys think in terms of the future of the NBA as it relates to some of these uh, rookies coming in. Sure. Well, we could talk about that for a second. And as the Kings are about to select, and um, they choose Marvin Bagley of Duke, uh, uh, which I think was, again, not a surprise at all. Uh, but just to answer that question, I mean, I think what we're going to see, and I did see like Wendell Carter, I posted this on Twitter a few minutes ago, was a, a center who catches the ball on, on top, shot fake, puts the ball on the ground, kicks it, and then floats to the low post where they feed him, and then he does a move and scores. So kind of like we see Steph Curry driving, kicking, and then getting to the corner for a three really quickly, we're going to see, I, w- I would imagine, big guys do that, but then instead of going to the corner, they're going to go down low and grab low post position and score. Uh, Woj just tweeted out a trade. Um, Atlanta and Dallas are going to make a trade. Uh, it's going to be uh, three and five. They're going to swap. And so I guess Luca is going to go to Dallas. Oh, wow. And Trey Young's going to Atlanta. Uh, Dallas is also sending Atlanta a future first. So Luka Doncic, if he's on the board, um, I guess, uh, well, yeah, he'll, he'll be on the board. So Luka Doncic will be traded uh, to the Dallas Mavericks for Trey Young. That's, that just happened. Wow. And this was, this was interesting because we knew that, we knew that the Mavs had, had a love affair with Doncic. It, it became very public uh, a few days ago. And then yesterday, all of a sudden, Atlanta started putting out you know, the smoke signals. Oh, we love Doncic too, knowing that he might be available because they thought the Kings wouldn't take him and drive up the price. So it's really interesting to look at um, how Doncic now is going to fit alongside Dennis Smith, I think is is really interesting. It's I, a breakdown tape waiting to happen, I think, Coach. And then, <laughs> yeah, my mind know, is already uh, reeling here. And then we've got and then we got a whole other discussion in terms of Atlanta, who spent all that time tanking this year and then moves down a couple spots. I, I my I have to believe they have strong interest in in Jackson and Bamba. Uh, Dave, you were thinking that maybe even Trey Young for Atlanta, they just didn't want to take him at three. Right. So they're going to get Trey in this in this trade. And so my my idea was that I think they really like Trey, but just not at three. They, so they pick up a future first from Dallas, and there's still a thought that they may try to trade up from 19 to get back into the lottery and get another guy. So look for them to try to make a deal with the Clippers to maybe get 12 or 13 and, uh, and potentially try to move Bazemore or Dennis Schroeder uh, I think that they would like to get one of these young wings. You know, this is a team now that'll have Trey Young, Tarian Prince, John Collins. Collins. That's, a, that's a that's a good young group to start with. And um, you know, as far as the Mavericks go, I think Doncic is going to work well with Dennis Smith. Uh, he'll be able to actually take some spot up shots, which he didn't get a lot of uh, playing in Europe. And uh, it'll be a secondary playmaker from the wing. I mean, it's going to be it's going to be a lot of fun to watch that team. I, I do think that in free agency, one of the priorities they should have is a rim running big. So that way you've got a guy who can actually run the pick and roll with these two uh, and not rely so much on the, the Dirk Nowitzki pick and pop. Interesting. Um, but this, this almost assuredly locks in Jaron Jackson to Memphis at four. And, you know, he's a guy that a lot of a lot of my draft go-to guys have said he's going to walk in the league as a top 20 defender and, and potentially be one of the best defenders in the league by year four. So, uh, you know, Memphis could use that guy if he shows – any of the offensive flash that we've seen, if he can actually refine that stuff, he could play as the four next to Gasol, and and also he could be their small ball five. I, I like it for them. 
You know, I'm not so sure I like Jaron Jackson that much right now. I watched some tape of him this morning and was sort of like, just kind of a big shrug to me. But part of the shrug was just what, like, uh, they were doing in Michigan State, like what, how they were running their offense. This is sort of like, you know, one of those things where maybe I get him in a pro set uh, and get him spacing and different things and he'll, he'll be able to do more. But he certainly seems pretty raw, I would say, at the very least. Yeah, I, I watched Jaron Jackson work out, actually, and people are in love with him for his potential. Uh, mm-hmm. They've talked about it a, a bit. I mean, he's 18 years old. So Aiton and, and Bagley, who obviously just got picked, both 19 years old. Jaron Jackson, he's 18, even though Bagley reclassified to become a, a freshman. Uh, great instincts in terms of his shot blocking, extremely productive in terms of the per 40. But overall, he didn't show a lot of offense you know, in his freshman year. He did shoot well from the three-point line. There's no question about that. But – you know, I almost look at that as, as almost a small sample size because I do not like the way that he, he particularly shoots the ball right now. But in terms of his ability to handle the ball, his fluidity, his strength, his future is is awful bright. And he's fallen in love with working out. That's been the crazy thing that I've seen over the last few weeks that all the guys that work him out say he loves it now and can't wait to get back to it the moment the draft ends. So looks like we have another pick on the board here of Luka Doncic, right straight into Dallas, but... Uh, being picked by the Atlanta Hawks. So can, can I can I bring up a pet peeve I have? Sure. Listen, the trade is is, is yes. done. Yes. I right. hate I hate that they have him in the stupid Hawks hat. Like you know, it, it's just so ridiculous. Um, you know, let's let's just give him the Mavericks hat. I mean, I guess they still have to make the the pick of Trey Young to to make you know because if Memphis decides to take Trey Young, then I guess the deal would be off. But you know, it, it's just I don't know. It's annoying. Right, but I don't. Obviously, Memphis doesn't tra- take Trey Young. I, I would think that there's still somebody over there that eventually will get healthy. They'll play that position. I think, right? Yeah, Conley will still be their point guard. Yeah, right. Uh, yeah, I mean, by the way, do, when do they give up on Conley? At what point this year? If it's not, if he keeps getting injured, well, they signed him to a huge contract, so yeah, uh, I don't know where they're going to send him. Fair enough. Uh, yeah, but that, how long? How many more years is that contract? Uh, two. Uh, no, he signed, he signed a five, five? year max. So but that wasn't before. Plus. How many years ago was that? I think it was one. Let me yeah. uh, pull it up. Yeah, it was okay. last year. It was last year? It's that. It seems it like the, it was two years. It was the year least. everyone was getting the monster deals. Okay. It seems like he it was at least two years. One. Yeah. But, okay. Um, the, the, the thing we didn't discuss is, is Marvin Bagley now with the Kings. And I'm curious as to how you guys think about the fit. I mean, what I saw and what I really like about Bagley is you don't see guys at that size move the way that he does. And in a way, it's Rasheed Wallace-like or Kevin Garnett. And I'm not comparing the skill sets. He did average 21 and 11 last year, too. But more so just the idea that he moves with such fluidity at that size. And it's just awful appealing. They just There aren't humans like Marvin Bagley. And so I'm curious as to what you guys think of the fit. You know, does this mean Willie Cauley-Stein's out the door? What, what's the future look like right. for Well, things? the last guy at that size that ran as smoothly as him is probably Willie Cauley-Stein. <laughs> so you kind of got uh, a guy who isn't – but obviously Willie Cauley-Stein never had the kind of offensive polish that Bagley does, even though I still think that Bagley isn't – it has a long way to go in that department. But he's already – he's farther ahead as a, at this point of his career than Willie Cauley-Stein was. I, I, you have to just worry about the fit. You have to worry about the culture. Just being at the Kings seems to be a kiss of death for a lot of people. And uh, I don't know by bringing in a new coach if that changed much or anything at all this, last year. But certainly that is the biggest fear is that they're not going to develop and they're going to get stuck in this terrible situation. 
Well, I don't think that uh, the Kings think highly of Willie Cauley-Stein. You know, he, he's got some huge effort issues, and that, that's a problem if you're big in the NBA. And with Bagley, there's none of those concerns. I mean, the guy plays hard the entire time. So the coaching staff is not going to have to say, hey, come on, you know, give, give us a little extra. I do think okay. he, he could walk into this, this year and probably be a 2010 guy on a bad team. I don't know if his game is ever going to translate to winning basketball. That's tough to say about a kid that's 19 years old. But I don't know that that he's going to be able to expand his game enough um, to to actually you know be on a winning team. So we'll see. I mean, I do think he's going to put up numbers, uh, and he is a high effort player. The defense is atrocious from from what I've seen. So um, I mean, I'm interested to see what happens. I, I I still think Harry Giles is the most interesting big that Sacramento has. Yeah, well, if, if one day we get to see him, I'll, I'll be able to agree or disagree with you on that one. I, I have a little bit of a question of the motor on Bagley, I believe it or not. Uh, just watching him in transition. The first, it's funny, I first time I watched it, I was like, eh, this guy doesn't seem like he knows exactly how to run very hard. But it was weird because I grabbed those clips and I brought him in as I was editing and writing the voiceover. I don't know. Maybe my mind flipped or something. He did look like he was running. Like it, was, it wasn't as much of an issue all of a sudden. The same clips, you know, eight hours later. So I don't know what's going on in my brain with that. But I did feel like I had a little bit of a question. And maybe even Adam, I feel like maybe you saw what I was talking about, if that is even, you know, a slight question. Yeah, I, I think that's been brought up somewhat. I think there's a question about it. Uh, it's a weird thing because you expect out of Duke players that no matter what, they're going to play hard, especially on the defensive end. Whoa. I actually... Well, okay, but did Okafor do anything to uh, facilitate that? No, no, totally fair. I'm I'm more saying the perception as to what people expect. I agree with you. I I actually – I have more of a question, though, with his ability to – he basically gives up defensively. Like when he ends up on switches, he – in the Boston College game that Duke was playing this year, when their guards were attacking, they knew they could stop and pull up 10 feet, 8 feet, and get wide-open looks. That should never happen against a guy that's 6'11 and moves the way he does. There's no way a guard should be able to consistently pull up in the mid-range, and I think that's where I have a bigger issue because that's almost an effort thing, even if it's in the half court. And my running-the-court effort issue guy is is actually Mo Bamba, who's, who's going to be selected pretty soon. I, Mo Bamba, to me, is more of a guy that doesn't get up and down the court as much as I think that he, that he should couple things I really like on Bagley, though, is that I really love his hands, and uh, he's a quick leaper and a really good rebounder. I think that ultimately in the right spot, right coaching, this guy I still think could turn into a, a really special player, and we're still forgetting. He reclassified. He should have been a high school senior this year. He's still, he's still young maturity-wise as well as his development. Sure. I, I, interesting comment in the Twitter on uh, on Periscope. Robbie Rob thirty says, "I feel like the most efficient version of Bagley would be a six ten Iggy, but I don't know. I feel like, well, I don't know. What do you guys think about that? I don't see it, Dave. I don't see it. Oh, that is Dave. Sorry, Adam. Oh no, I'm the same way. I, I don't. I don't see it either. Plus, I mean, keep in mind one of the things that makes Iggy so special is his ability to pass the basketball. We didn't really see that." Okay. Marvin yeah, and I, and I think that ultimately Bagley is going to be a better shooter than Iggy is anyway, no matter what. I think so. Lefty was pretty good form. I think he, he, his shooting could really actually be pretty special. Right. Uh, and somebody once thinks that Coach, me and Dave look like 80s porn stars. Oh, he says Pino stars. I'm assuming he means porn stars. You know, the, am I a 90s porn star? Well, you know, your porn? beard is a little bit behind. You're, yeah, you're a 90s porn star. We're the 80s because the beards are much for, for thicker and further along. We have another uh, pick. Oh, we are. I guess we covered it. Well, Jaron Jackson was picked out of Michigan State uh, by the Grizzlies. Um, surprise, anybody? Adam? 
No, not surprised at all. Like I said, I, I, I saw the kid, love the kid. His dad is in his corner. You might remember his dad playing at Georgetown. Uh, Jared Jackson, completely different player. I mean, the size is there. And again, again, 18 years old, he has what most people consider to be the most upside possibly in the draft just because we haven't even seen it yet. With Aiton and Bagley, we already see what, saw what they're capable of. Jackson, 10.9 points a game, 5.8 rebounds. Um, and again, shot just under 40% from the three-point line. But it's his shot-blocking instincts that can come in. He's already an NBA shot blocker tomorrow if you put him on a team. And the offense is what we're going to wait on. But I'm telling you, the explosiveness that I saw, it's very raw. And it brings up a bigger point. And, and I know that, Dave, you've talked about this at length in the past. And that's, you know, we think of the Tom Mizzos and Coach K's and John Calipari's as these guys that mold these players into these great, and, and Coach, obviously, you as well, these great players at for the NBA level. But really, they're focused on getting these guys to play team defense, to work within their system. The lack of skill development at the college level is really a problem, and that's why I think these NBA guys think so highly of someone like Jaron Jackson because they think, oh, I can mold him to be exactly like I want him to be. You know, yeah. I don't I don't think that those things are mutually exclusive, though. I don't think that you have to sacrifice individual development for, like, this notion of your team being better on the uh, college level. One of the problems I had watching Jaron Jackson footage this morning was what comes up first is them playing against Syracuse in the, in the NCAA tournament. And I couldn't believe the offense they were trying to run against a 2-3 zone. It looked like, uh, you know, it's eighth grade, ninth grade basketball. Very frustrating that Izzo, you know, he's been there for 50 years. He runs the same stuff. He, you know, works so he has no reason they really change it but certainly uh i, I just kind of find that weird that uh that they're still doing the same old stuff there uh and even though the bottom line is they're winning there it just seems like they do their players a lot better uh service if they would just upgrade and do more modern action uh it would make everybody around better and they wouldn't they certainly wouldn't lose any less games that's the thing so that's the that, that's what i have about jerry jackson so we don't even I, I couldn't even really tell what he can do what he couldn't do offensively End okay. of rant. <laughs> so, yeah, and I think I think a lo- judging a lot of these guys in college is really tough. Um, and and this is why I'm not sold that Aiton isn't going to be a good defender in the league as a rookie because I just don't trust Sean Miller as a defensive coach. Uh, Aiton played much of the season out of position, and the scheme was uh, you know a little all over the place. So, you know, I, I don't think that we can. You know, this is where I look for skill, right? Like, I look for, okay, that guy did this thing that can I know translates to the NBA. Uh, Trey Young, for instance. Like, we know he can shoot. We know he can play make for others. Like, he's, he's got great court vision. Jaron Jackson is a freak uh, athletically. Um, can put the, put the ball on the floor a little bit. Attack closeouts. Can, can shoot from range. So, I look at that kind of stuff instead of, okay, how did he necessarily perform? You know, I, I think that that's the right way to do it. Right. And Dave, you know, you said that Woj was not going to be tweeting during the draft, but there it is. He's, he must be, uh, you know, uh, head down and tweeting uh, and thumbing while, uh, while on the screen. Uh, he, just throw, he just threw this out two minutes ago as part of the Atlanta-Dallas agreement. Dallas will make the fifth pick for Atlanta Hawks, Trey Young, and send him to the Hawks, sources said. So they are now locked in there. We now, that, now know that Doncic is going to go there. And uh, that's, I'm interested. I'm intrigued. Uh, again, what, the way we described that with John Collins um, and um, Torian Prince, I don't think that – I mean, that's not a team that's competing for anything. I don't even know if they're competing for a playoff spot for at least, you know, what, a year, maybe, maybe more. Yeah, the Hawks have a long way to go, I think. But that being said, Trey Young is a guy that you have to put the ball in his hands. Any team that was going to draft him was going to say, hey, you are going to change 
the culture and sort of the look of what we do here as an organization, for better or worse. I love Trey Young, personally. People were worried about his height. He came in, measured the exact same height as Colin Sexton, which I think surprised a lot of people at the Combine. He's taller than Aaron Holiday is. And, you know, Dave alluded to it. He, his ability, his court vision, we all know about the shooting and the range and the scoring. Nobody has ever led the country in scoring and assists. So the fact that he did that was just completely remarkable, especially to do it against top-tier competition playing from a, you know, a power conference. But it's his vision that really stood out to me. He makes skip passes and lefty passes that are remarkable, and, and that's the part of his game that I really love, and his quickness. I think that's been really undersold. He can get anywhere he wants on the floor. He's been facing double teams, junk defenses all year, and still managed to get through it. There's nothing the NBA is going to throw at him that he hasn't already seen. Uh, now, may, may there be some issues defensively? Sure. But I, I love the fact that Atlanta now is going to sort of change what, what they are. I, I think that now Atlanta becomes the Trey Young show. And seeing him and John Collins and Torian Prince, I think it's going to be a blast to watch for the next few years. Absolutely. Um, so Trey Young was just selected by Dallas, so that that completes that trade. And uh, Mo Bamba will be taken by the Orlando Magic. Okay. So um, now, uh, for me just to weigh in really quickly on Trey Young, I'm all in. Did a video on him earlier this year. Uh, I do think. Oh no, he's wearing he's wearing knickers, fellas. <laughs> I'm aware. I'm aware. Yeah, I just saw that image. I didn't need to see it, but uh, well, anyway. he might have he might have needed to distract from the hair because he knows everyone's always going to comment on his bad hair. So. Yeah, right. Well, yeah, that could that could be shorn, but certainly the pants uh, forever in my mind. Uh, but yeah, for, without question, Trey Young is the, is the, I, I think is the second coming of Steph Curry. Uh, he certainly think, seems to uh, have all those skills and more, and uh, and maybe even at an earlier age. So perhaps when he gets to be 25, 26, he'll be able to uh, to tap into even more of that Curryness. And the league, by the way, I mean, let's see, Trey Young is what 19, right? Yep, he's 19. So like at age 20, we're talking about six years from now. The league will be shooting 53s a game, probably. You know, it'll be much more wide open than it is even now, I'd imagine. So you're going to, you know, there'd be a lot of room for him to, to really grow and, and fill that stat sheet up without question. Um, you know, Dallas, what do we think? Uh, are they going to compete at all? Probably not. It, you know, this might be Dirk's. Actually, yeah. You know what? I think that they're going to be very active in free agency. I mean, now, with that being said, it, it's always hard to compete with a young point guard like they have with Dennis Smith Jr. and Luka Doncic, you know. Uh, most NBA rookies are not very good. You know, we got lucky this season by having a bunch that that were contributors to playoff teams. But, um, you know, I think that they're going to do what they can to compete. They still have some veterans on that team that, that can contribute to winning basketball. The, the big question for them is can they get the, the big that they need to pair with these two guards? I mean, that, I think it's going to be tricky. And, and I'll tell you something. I think what's really interesting, too, I think this is the point in the draft where we're sort of reaching. I mean, I think there's going to be other guys down the line that have major star potential. But in terms of the guys that have already been selected, I think these are all guys that are going to be the faces of their franchise. I mean, DeAndre Ayton, Bagley, uh, Trey Young now we know, Luka Doncic for sure, the master, and, and Jackson now maybe not next year or the year after, but three years from now maybe we're talking about Jackson also being the face of the franchise. What's interesting, I think, about the Luka Doncic thing is that you can now attract free agents because guys are going to want to play with what they're building. And again, it may be not this year, but when guys start to see how much fun it is, and I think that's the thing about Dallas and also Atlanta, they're going to be fun again. 
Like how much, how cool is it going to be to see Dennis Smith and Luka Doncic sharing a backcourt together? I mean, sharing off who's on the ball, who's off the ball, the fast breaks these guys are going to run. It's going to be incredible. I think that that tandem is really cool to start thinking about all the options they're going to have there. Yes, but my other fear is uh, of seeing Dennis Smith and um, um, uh, and Doncic like looking back at the bench at. Carlisle every other possession to see what the call he wants him to run. Uh, that that is fear it scares me a little bit. So maybe hopefully he'll loosen the reins a little bit too to give them some more free form range to 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 play. Wow! I silenced the crowd. Um, all right, so we have now we're coming up at the end. So we are now moving on to the next pick after Trey Young, which already was announced. Mo Bamba, is that correct, Dave? Yeah, it's going to be Mo Bamba. Perfect. Okay. Everyone. Now I got a chance to see Mo Bamba work out and uh, with Drew Hanlon, and um, certainly he he definitely is really intriguing. I know he caught my eye as well with uh, his highlights in college because they were very spectacular, a lot of them. So you know he easily could be as intriguing as the other guys. It certainly is Bagley because he's really long. I mean this guy when you talk to him he is legitimately well he's you know tall and long. I mean this is not they're, they're not faking the numbers here. No, he's a freakish. He's a freakish athlete. I mean, seven ten wingspan broke yeah. the record at the NBA Combine, which is unheard of. I mean, he's six eleven and a quarter without shoes. Uh, that's otherworldly. And like you said, he just looks like he's totally stretched out. It's it's incredible to see Mo Bamba. Uh, again, I, I'm a little bit worried about his his uh, desire on the on the basketball court. He wasn't that productive on the offensive end. Really struggled a bit scoring through traffic. As Dave said earlier, you know, you have to look at what skills are translatable and sort of go from there because there's other parts of the game that they can work on. And Mo Bamba, by all accounts, a wonderful kid. He's from New York City, uh, went to school Westtown in Pennsylvania, uh, which is building a powerhouse high school program. Mo Bamba has a ton of upside, a ton of talent. You can see where it's going. If his, if, if his floor is Rudy Gobert, you're in pretty great shape. Now, the question is, will he develop an offensive game? We started to see him work out, shoot some threes. I don't know that he'll ever be a three-point shooter. Uh, But Mo Bamba certainly has to be more productive. A question mark, but if you're going to take a question mark, a guy with the 7'10 wingspan isn't a bad place to start. Dave, what what do you think of the kid? I I love him as just a human being. Like, uh, you know, I got to talk to him last year at Hoop Summit. Super interesting kid. Um, Just, like, really well put together. Like, for me, I, I respect the fact that basketball just you know he's got more going on in his life than basketball he's got other interests you know Jalen Brown has the same thing and no one thinks that that he doesn't have a desire to play and I, I respect that as a human being um but I, I love him on the court I think he can really use his length if the shooting is is coming together and if he can just he needs to add some strength because he gets bullied inside by guys that are bigger than him and if he can if he can correct those things I mean he really could be a, a game changer defensively and a guy who could almost affect the game as if uh, you gave Rudy Gobert a three-point shot. And, and now that's a huge reach, but but this is if these things come together. Um, now, the question is, you know, do you trust Orlando to kind of bring this together? And, I, I mean, I don't know. Right. I, I will say that Bamba definitely has much better hands than Rudy ever had. So that's a really big step up for him. Uh, I, I think he'll struggle offensively for sure. I think he's more in that Clint Capella offensive uh, path, which at this point it w- I'm sure Orlando would take if he gets to be after a couple of years what, what uh, Capella can do. Uh, and then also the, detru- the destruction that Rudy, that Rudy Gobert gives them on defense, for instance. Uh, I think that would be a nice little piece to their puzzle. Um, certainly uh, this is a, a, a good pick for them, and 
a, a way out of their situation that they're in now. And, and how about the idea that athletically, you're going to throw Aaron Gordon with that length athletically and, and Mo Bamba together? I mean, that maybe. Maybe. Right. Remember, Eric, Eric Gordon is, Aaron Gordon is a uh, restricted free agent this summer. I don't know if Orlando is as sold on him uh, as we wow. are. Um, I think they envision Jonathan Isaac and Mo Bamba as their, as their front court of the future. Equally as long and athletic, you may argue. Right. But, but still, you know, yeah, so, so you think this may actually be almost, I don't want to call it a replacement pick, but sort of fills that, that void in a way. Right. Where, was, where does Aaron Gordon potentially go? Well, I think you're going to have a lot of teams that are interested. The question is, how much is, will, uh, is Orlando willing to spend to keep him? Yeah. Um, you know, if he gets a, a four-year, $80 million offer this summer, is Orlando going to match that? I'm just not, I'm not convinced. Right. You know, the elephant in the room right now is Michael Porter Jr., who had been hovering all over the board, everywhere from, you know, top, I don't know, three to in the teens. Uh, what does this say? This looks like uh, he's not going to get picked anytime in the next several draft picks, would you say? Well, those medicals that went out last Friday apparently scared a lot of teams off. Don't blame to the them. point where, what? Don't blame them at all. Yeah, to the point where his agent, Mark Bartlestein, actually sent out a bunch of emails today to teams with more medicals saying, hey, you know, this is, you guys are kind of taking this out of proportion. Uh, the, both the Clippers and the Nuggets are preparing, uh, I think, to, to take him if he's available. So uh, okay. I, don't, I don't see him dropping out of the lottery, but it's crazy. I mean, I saw this guy at Hoop Summit last year. I thought he would wind up being no worse than three in this class. And of course, mm-hmm. you know, the injuries are unpredictable. Uh, I mean, he's, when he's healthy, I mean, he's, he's a guy who's going to, who can fill it up. He can really shoot the ball coming off the screens and all the things you need to do to survive as a wing in the NBA. Uh, he's six ten. He can, he can attack a closeout. I think his handle's a little loose, but you know, he's a plus athlete. And, and so NBA teams usually figure those guys out, but you know, if he's not going to be healthy, uh, I mean, I don't blame these teams for not taking the risk. Sure. We have a Woj bomb, a semi-Woj bomb. Chicago is zeroing in on Wendell Carter uh, with the seventh overall pick. Which, by the way, out of Duke, who was the teammate of Marvin, Marvin Bagley. i got to tell you guys, I was watching some footage of him. I think I'm more impressed with his offensive game than I am with Bagley. Yeah, Bagley gets picked ahead of him. I, I, think, well, I, think, Wendell, I think Wendell Carter fits perfectly in the modern NBA. I do think he's going to wind up being able to shoot the three. I think his interior defense is going to be good. And his ability to facilitate from the elbows. He's a really gifted passer, and I think that that, that matters so much. And then, you know, he and Markinen should be able to play well off of each other. I think it's going yes. to be fun. Yeah, I agree. I, I think the only – here's my thing with Wendell Carter, and, and this is the downside. And, again, we're talking about another 19-year-old kid, so you're, again, trying to project out. But when you look at the negatives for him right now, he had some poor footwork, his decision-making sometimes when he was rushed, getting the ball in the post, and when he had to switch out on guards on the perimeter, he was getting beat in some. But, but those things being said, that's all correctable. So you look already, we see the form on his shot, which you, you don't want to get in and have a guy have to totally restructure how they shoot the basketball. I love how Wendell Carter shoots the ball, uh, so he's got good form on his shot. Obviously, his size is great. And then... The fact that he rebounds at a really high rate, I, I have to agree the idea that he's exactly the type of guy. Maybe he doesn't have that same superstar potential, but against a, a Larry Markkinen, I mean, this guy could be a, an ideal fit for the Bulls. So, so guys seemingly are starting to fall into places 
where even though you, as Dave has, has written about, you don't want to draft um, forfeit. I think these guys do fit. Yes, I, well, I, I think it's a balancing act, right, Dave? You have to sort of understand that if you have Magic Johnson, you're not going to draft Isaiah Thomas uh, in the next year. Uh, although, ask Mark Jackson what happened in that when he was tra- he uh, they drafted. Uh, uh, Rod Strickland right after he won the Rookie of the Year. So we've seen teams sort of do that, but I, th- I think that you have to write. There's, there is the notion that it's, it's whatever percentage of, you know, is, is got to be best player available, but also, you know, is it, do you already have something that's already there? The, you know, Portland didn't pick uh, Michael Jordan because they already had uh, Clyde Drexler. Although I suppose they, they probably rue that pick too. <laughs> and, the, yeah, and then it, Sam Bowie. Uh, if you're a bad team, best player available. If you're a good team, best player okay. available. And, like, best player available just makes so much more sense. I mean, uh, there were a lot of people who, who thought the Suns should take Doncic because of the uh, the Igor Kokoskov connection. Yeah. But, you know, how long do coaches normally last with a team? Three, four years? You know, Doncic is a guy that you're going to have under team control for seven to nine years. So, you know, you've got to – like, a lot of this stuff I think people overthink. The, the, the key to the, the entire process, and when you look at what the best teams do, they take the best talent available – at their at their spot and if it fits on the court that's great but organizational fit is even more important than on the court you know if you draft a bad character guy to a team that doesn't have a strong locker room okay well guess what he's most likely going to fail i mean we we kind of saw the ups and downs that that they had uh in in sacramento with the marcus cousins not that i question his character but i think his on-court stuff is you know it wouldn't have happened if he was in a an organization that could kind of give him some guidance. And, and I think that, you know, this is the thing, again, why I don't I don't hate the Bagley pick for Sacramento. I mean, it's not great. They should have taken Doncic. They're overthinking it a little bit. But they're not going to have any character problems. And I know that's been something they focused on. They took De'Aaron Fox last year. They brought in, uh, you know, Zach Randolph. They brought in Vince Carter. Um, but, but the biggest thing is, if you think Marvin Bagley is the most talented guy at the number two pick, that's the guy you take. End of story. They're really, like, who cares if you've got 800 centers on the roster? You take the most talented guy. Okay, fair enough. And it's now official Wendell Carter is uh, in Chicago. So they'll be, you know, playing off of that, which I, I again, uh, there's an interesting fit there with Markin. Um, you know, there's a lot of these. It's interesting as we move forward, and it seems like these drafts are. Uh, here's the other question I have for you guys then. Are these drafts getting any deeper to you as the years go by? Does it feel like they're deeper or not? My my answer to that is I think every draft is sort of unique in it in its own right. I mean, last year, and I, I think they all sort of had their own identity. Last year, we we saw some players that I thought were were really stand out. You know, some perimeter players. There was a lot of talent that you could get in last year's draft. I thought it was a little bit deeper. I didn't love the guys up up at the front, but as it went deeper, you could get your Lowry Markinins as you went on. You the, uh, Donovan Mitchell, right. and, and and this year. I've looked at it as, as the draft of about seven. I, that's that's who I felt, and I, although I felt Porter was the guy and not in uh, Wendell Carter. That being said, I still think as you move along, I think there's just more. Bobby Knight said it a few years ago. It's it's not that the great players haven't always been great. Any great player in any era can play at any era. It's just that there's more great players now, and I think there's more great players across college basketball. And I to me. That's it. That's the whole key right now is that you can have some really talented guys. It, it's funny, though, because you still don't see a lot of second rounders who pan out. I think scouting's gotten pretty good. But I, I still believe that as you go deeper into this draft, there's some guys that could show some real serious potential. Now, Chauncey, uh, he his comp for uh, Wendell Carter is um, 
uh, Carlos Boozer. Adam, what do you think about that? Uh, I, I don't know. I think almost as, as different players. I, I like the idea that they sort of have similar-looking shots. Uh, the form on their shot is is similar. But I, I almost think different guys. Boozer was almost a bruiser, you know, and, and, and would be physical with you and also step out and shoot it. Um, you know, Dave's talked about the passing of Wendell Carter that I think is different. I think he moves a little bit better. I, I kind of like Wendell Carter's game. And, again, it, it's a compliment to him because Carlos Boozer had some very good years, you know, early on in his career. But I, I just sort of see them as, as different players. I, I see Carter more stretched out version, if, if you will, and a guy that moves a little bit better. Yeah, I'm not so sure I see the shot mechanic similarity. But either way, uh, I think it looks like Carter's got a better, much smoother release, uh, not such a hitch behind his head. Dave, what do you think? Um, just got a, got a shams bomb, uh, or what do we call it that? Uh, <laughs> Cleveland, Cleveland's going to take my guy, Colin Sexton with the eighth pick. Um, this is, this is kind of interesting to me. Okay. Um, you're, you're uh, my- so I'm big on Colin Sexton. I mean, I, I think he's a hell of a competitor. I think, uh, you know, from an intangible standpoint, uh, he's just fantastic. I mean, if anybody's watched the tape from, from when he played that game three on five, I mean, the NBA guys love that. Um, it, it's uh, he's a really impressive. Just another one that's really impressive as a person. 4.0 student, including this year at Alabama. Um, I, I worry though about how much success he's going to have at the next level. Yeah, I uh, Colin Sexton. First of all, you know his height. People thought that he was a bigger guard than he was. Like I said, came into the combine. He's a guy that was always listed much bigger than he ended up measuring out at six foot and a half. Uh, He's, he's certainly explosive. He's certainly athletic, and there's a lot to love about He just sort of has a swagger about him with the way that he plays, and I see all the things Dave's talking about. And he scored at a high level, and he was the, the, the leader of that Alabama team. The issue for me was he has not shot the ball well. He didn't work out very well. In fact, you know, even his Cavs workout, that, you know, they sort of sold it as, his, as him being underwhelming, uh, which is why it's even more surprising to me that they'll end up uh, drafting him. But in terms of a guy that's undersized lead guard who's athletic, if he can't shoot the basketball and hasn't necessarily shown the ability to even shoot it better in, in the workouts leading up to the draft, defensively he hasn't been the, the guy that he necessarily should be, and he doesn't distribute at a very high level right now. Now, granted, part of that was a little bit of a chaotic system with a bunch of athletes at Alabama, but I have a bunch of questions about Colin Sexton where early in the year I loved him, and I love his competitiveness, I love his drive, I love his athleticism, but I'm – I have question marks about him at the next level. So, and, and also, people should keep in mind, it's no matter who the Cavs draft is not going to influence. It didn't matter who they took. Even if they were able to get DeAndre Ayton, it was not going to influence whether LeBron James was staying in Cleveland. So I just want to let the record show that that's, that's a fact. Fair enough, fair enough. So, interesting, though. Uh, now, is this, how much of this is not a huge surprise uh, to anybody? Uh, that Colin Sexton is going to uh, Cleveland? All right. I'm sorry, Dave. Um, yeah, we can't hear you. The, the, the one thing I would say about Colin Sexton, too, is in terms of it being a surprise, is I think it, it, we all started to believe that the Cavs were going to go for a point guard. That's what it looked like. Trey Young, possibly. Um, Shea Gilgis Alexander. There was a thought. It looked like the Cavs had, over the last week or so, it looked like the Cavs had serious interest in taking a point guard for next year. 
And so once you knew Doncic, Young were, were off the board, it's going to look like Sexton or maybe Gilgis Alexander. I thought Gilgis Alexander could move into that spot. But so, again, I'm, I'm a little bit surprised because I just thought that when the Cavs worked them out that they were, were underwhelmed. But um, maybe that's them just keeping stuff, uh, you know, to the vest. Yeah. Dave, what, uh, are you back? Wow. No, it's – it's oh, and then you just disappeared on us. Okay. Well, we're having some technical difficulties, uh, as, as always, with doing a live stream for an uh, extended period of time. Sometimes the, these things don't work out all perfectly. Um, but we will be sending a nasty email to Wirecast for sure. Um, let's see. Now we lost Dave. Looks like he's gone. He's now he's just a big question mark. And oh, there he's he's, he's back. Um, Am I in? Am I in? Can you hear me? Yeah, it's it's a, it's a little bit better maybe now. Yeah, so um, let's just say Wirecast is not not my favorite. Yeah. Um, all right. But that mic has caused us problems too. So anyhow, um, all right. Well, let's see here. Do we have any other bombs while we're speaking of bombs from any of the other uh, from Woj or Shams? Kevin Knox is going to go to the Knicks at nine. Okay, Kevin Knox, the Knicks at nine. Uh, I liked what I saw uh, of him at Kentucky. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I think he'll he'll probably wind up being a decent scorer at the next level. Yeah. And Dave, unfortunately, that's uh, we can barely uh, hear what you're saying, and I'm sure everyone's enraged (laughs) over uh, uh, Adam. Give us your thoughts on Kevin Knox uh, uh, breakdown. What's your breakdown? Well, he's got the length for sure. We know that about Kevin Knox. He, he scored in a nice clip. He was over 15 a game for Kentucky this past year. You know, he's a kid that, you know, measured at the combine, six seven and and, uh, and three quarters inches. He certainly has the length, fits sort of the prototypical look of a wing at the NBA level right now. And the fact that he can shoot the basketball is, is huge. So I think you talk about a longer wing who could shoot the ball and seems to be, you know, the Knicks almost going in the position of, it seems like almost a safe pick for them, you know, not swinging for the pet fences and, and Michael Porter. And to me, that's the bigger story. When you have Knox on the board and you have Porter on the board and you go with Knox, that just tells you that still the medical scare teams. And the one thing that we hadn't mentioned about Porter earlier is the idea that doctors say that even if he does return to be 100%, which he certainly didn't this college basketball season, even if you believe he could get there, it's probably not going to be for another two years. So that means a serious period of patience and when you're the Knicks and you have a guy like Chris Stapps, you want to get good as quickly as possible so I, I think that Kevin Knox is a safe selection for right now I think everybody really likes him he didn't shoot the three as well in college as we would have expected only 34 percent but I think everyone sees the form and the release and they think all right this kid's gonna be a shooter at the next level yeah he looks to me like he can be the guy who like isn't that Kevin Durant mold uh, I know he's not you know seven feet but he's long he's, he's got some of that height which is weird to me that I, I'm surprised that more guys in that height range of like six eight six nine six ten who can handle the ball and who could shoot uh, aren't even higher in the draft it's weird that everybody wants to sort of uh, still pick the traditional big man that can maybe shoot a little bit we really and I, I, by the way I'm not really sold on any of those guys already picked uh, on their outside shots certainly not Thing in volume in the, that we could see in the college ranks, but um, to me, if I, I would think I would value a lot more highly the guys that are six eight six nine that could shoot and handle the ball. Yeah, this is the first of that shooting class that you start to think about now because I think the shooters that are still on the board. I mean, you know, we yeah, sure, we we had Kevin Knox. We've got a guy like Mikael Bridges, three and D guy. Kevin Herter out of Maryland, who's one of my favorite players in this draft, shoots the heck out of it from range. Uh, Dante DiVincenzo. So some of those wings that can really shoot Grayson Allen, those guys are still available on the board. And I'm with you. You would think that in today's NBA, there'd be such value on that. You know, you knew 
you watch the Cavs in the finals and think they need a shooter, you know, and, yeah. and it's almost like, well, there are a bunch of them out there. You know, it's just having those guys on the rosters. People do fall in love with bigs and athleticism. Kevin Knox, the first real shooter. The other big thing about Kevin Knox is that he can finish. I mean, not in a he'll dunk on you kind of way in that explosive way, but he's got great touch around the hoop as he's attacking and he knows how to use his length to, you know, with the, the English around the backboard and stuff, which, again, is another part of the craft, I think, that, that's underappreciated. Yeah. Dave, you want to give it a shot? Can you hear me? No. I mean, I can hear you if you were on All right. Mars. All right. Uh, I don't know. I guess Dave is – we're going to have to give up on Dave because it's really uh, – we can't really hear him. Um, well, uh, unless you want to, you know, restart your computer and try again, whatever, I guess uh, let me, uh, let me uh, clean up this little uh, – the, the desktop here so we don't see him. Um, let's do that and let's do this. And at least I'll go like there. Okay. Well, it's you and me, Adam, for a little bit here. We're on opposite right. sides of the uh, screen here with a big gap. But hey, Dave, uh, you were. It was nice to have you here. Maybe you know we'll figure that out at some point sooner than later. But uh, all right, what are we at here now? We have. Um, well, ten pick is is the Sixers pick, and that was the the interesting one as as people were getting through. So if Kevin Knox, you know, as Woj says, going to the Knicks now for the Sixers at ten, there's been a lot of talk of Mikhail Bridges out of Villanova. Local kid, uh, obviously played at Villanova, but also played his high school ball at Great Valley High School in, in Malvern, Pennsylvania. So, Mikhail Bridges, 3 and D guy. He can really shoot it. You know, you talk about Knox. Bridges doesn't necessarily have that same smooth in-between part. He's a really good athlete, a very good athlete. But he's almost, he's almost a three-pointer or he's going right to the cup on you. And he definitely can defend. He's got really good legs. So he would fit right in with the Sixers, I think. And I, I don't know what you're thinking about what they actually need, whether it's shooters. But for me, a guy who can shoot the basketball from the outside, he really improved on that. And then also has the athletic ability to play defense and attack the hole. I think he would be a nice fit there alongside Simmons and Embiid and, and Saric as you're trying to build towards the future. Yeah, without question. Um, I was really impressed watching him in the tournament and think that he, like, again, he's another one of those guys. Now, uh, Mikhail is, how tall is, is Bridges? He's 6'7". Yeah, so it's too bad. If he was like 6'9", with, you know, really like a little bit longer, I'd say, you know, that's the guy that you want to pick in the top three picks. Like, he can knock down threes. He can do a nice pull-up game. He actually has a little bit of that Kevin Durant game, wouldn't you say? Yeah, he, he kind of does. I mean, the, the thing about him is that he's really a, a good athlete, whereas Kevin Knox is a little bit taller and maybe a little longer. Mikhail Bridges is, is shorter side, but he's a really good athlete. And, you know, it's funny when you see guys with length who are that athletic, um, they can actually be projected out. When he was a freshman, people were talking about him, you know, as being the best pro prospect on that Villanova team. And you start to think about some of the guys they've had with DiVincenzo, Jalen Brunson, um, Josh Hart, obviously now playing for the Lakers. Mikhail Bridges looked like the best NBA prospect, and he ended up staying a few years in school. He's a junior, but he's only 21 years old, and uh, I still think he's got a really bright future. I just think he fits so well as a, as a 3 and D guy. I agree. And you know what? Dave is back, and we're going to try and bring him back into the discussion here uh, in a second as soon as I get him cleaned up here. Um, let me just do this. And and the Sixers are going with Bridges, too, while we get Dave situated. And, uh, again, having the local roots is big. You get a guy that, that played high school ball and college ball in, in the same area, southeastern PA, that he's going to be playing in the pros. You don't see that happen too often. And I think it'll be pretty cool for the hometown fans there. I know Sixers fans will love it. But he just 
felt like for so long he was destined to be a, a Sixers draft pick. For sure, absolutely, and so I'm I'm excited to see what happens with him and what's whether they're gonna, you know, pick him and how he develops there because obviously the Sixers are should be well on their way to transcending you know transcendence as far as uh, competing a lot more in the Eastern Conference after their little bit of disappointing finish in the uh, playoffs. I've got Dave set up here. Let's do this and let's find out. Dave, are you are you back? Am I back? Well, not really. Terrible. All right, well, uh, yeah, I just watch, watch you guys do the show. All right, yeah, you, you know, listen, if, you, if we ever needed an effect that sounded like you were broadcasting from Mars, we now have it, and we can use it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, we tried two mics, and I don't know what happened. The, the earbuds worked really well at the beginning, so you want to try throwing those on one more time? Sure. All right, we can all watch, watch Dave put his earbuds on. Wow, we have another pick coming up, I think. Uh, although they they are now ESPN has a picture of the Brian Colangelo sitting in the uh, stands uh, and that whole disgrace of things. Uh, any thoughts, Adam, briefly on that? On the Brian Colangelo situation? Yeah. Well, I think it's been one of the craziest soap operas we've seen in, in quite some time. Um, I, I think the biggest thing is just where management goes from here and whether they can get an executive in, uh, you know, whether it's a David Griffin or who that, that could give them an opportunity. If it's not LeBron and some other free agents here, I think that to me is the big question is, is, is what the Sixers are doing long-term in terms of their front office. You know, there's a pick that's being made right now. Brett Brown's their active acting guy, uh, you know, making, making the calls, making the picks. And so, you know, to not have that overall vision, that long-term vision, I just think every day that goes by puts you further and further behind the eight ball. Cause you know, this is an executive's league. People talk about it being a player's league, which I agree. But when you look at the R.C. Buford, Sam Presti, uh, Daryl Morey, uh, Bob Myers, and, of course, Danny Ainge, when you look at those guys, it's the old chess versus checkers argument. Those guys are so far ahead of the rest of the executives in the league. And so to not even have any executive in place and any long-term vision, uh, you know, Lindsey in, in Utah is another one. I, I just think that – the best executives are always having such a big advantage. So without having Colangelo there, I think it's, it's really crushing to the team right now. Right. But I guess obviously better to have him not there and not taint the free agent process well, than to yes, have him yeah, yeah. there. So sure. um, is Dave available? Do we have Dave, Dave back? I think so. Uh, it's slightly better, but maybe not. I don't know. Uh, say something yeah. else for us. Yeah. Uh, oh. So I'm here. Yeah. Uh, uh, is going to go to the six or the ten, and you know, we want to talk about a wing league. All right, guess guy, what, Dave? It's not yeah, it's not. It's it's different. It's bad in a different way now. <laughs> so right. uh, it, it sounds almost like internet wise, even though your video looks great. So I guess we're gonna have to. Um, not call a day, but anyway, thank you, Dave, for for the old college try. I, you know, we'll have to figure this out uh, one of these days sooner than later. Um, anyhow, uh, we do have a, a Woj bomb. What he was trying to say was that the uh, you're right, Mikhail Bridges will be going at number ten um, to the Sixers. So that's a nice little fit, like you said. Uh, and, and, and wild thing to look at with Mikhail Bridges, and I love this about it. First of all, great attitude, which you saw from a lot of the Villanova kids. You saw how well Josh Hart adjusted to the league. Like I said, we saw the potential. His first year, their freshman year at Villanova, he, he played in 40 games, didn't start any of them, and he shot 29.9% from three. His sophomore year, 39.3% from three. And this past year, 43.5% from three on six attempts a game. 
So just seeing a guy that's worked that hard to develop his game when he already was a really good athlete and a pro prospect, he was a first-rounder, definite given over the last two years, but he turned himself this year into a lottery pick, and, and I always got to give a lot of praise to kids like that. For sure, for sure. That's a great story. I love to see that. Um, and, you know, uh, if, if you're going to come from anywhere in college and be ready to play in the NBA, in my opinion, it's, I think Villanova is going to be one of those places that we'll see over the next several years that those are the guys who are getting prepared pretty well. Jay Wright's got a really good program of, of player development. So I think he gets it. The way they play is a lot like how the NBA is, is playing. So those are the guys. That's why I feel like Rick Brunson should be another guy that should be drafted a lot higher than he's going to Jaylen be. Jalen Brunson. I mean, Jalen Brunson. Brunson's son, yes. Yes, yeah. right. Yeah. Yes, and, uh, and forgive there's, me. There's four Villanova kids that are going to be taken in this draft. you got Michaela Bridges, then Dante DiVincenzo, uh, yeah. Jalen Brunson, and Amari Spellman, who came out after just his freshman year. They're big, who, who stepped outside and can, can shoot the basketball. So, yes, they, they move the ball really well. And to see a team with that many pro players who played as unselfishly as they did you know, that's the NBA way. The, the most successful teams know how to move the basketball, know how to play well together. So these guys not only competing against each other in practice every day, but play so well together. You know that they're going to be great team guys at the next level, especially how hard they work on their game. I think exactly what you bring up about Jay Wright is why everybody's dying to play for him right now. Absolutely. Yeah. There's a guy that gets it. Like there's a guy that understands how to to merge player development, uh, preparing them for the NBA. And I would think it's safe to say winning. He's certainly done quite a lot of that in the last uh, several years. So good to see from him. Uh, Where are we now? We are actually at the uh, uh, 11th pick. Charlotte is on the clock. Yes. And we have to figure out what they want to do. And then we can discuss, you know, how many more picks we want to try and break down uh, through the first round or so. Yeah, what do you think? Yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm good to go as long as, as you feel <laughs> like going. I'm, I'm prepared. The, uh, the Charlotte pick is interesting. I mean, Kemba Walker and what his future looks like, you know, as part of the Charlotte Hornets, we know that what he's meant to that organization. I think it's really interesting to see what Charlotte's going to do because, you know, there was talk about Colin Sexton maybe being that pick, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, the, you know – Six four and a half without shoes, six six with shoes. Point guard from Kentucky. Uh, a lot of talk, a lot of love around uh, SGA as they call him. Uh, only nineteen years old has really shown enormous potential as he started to come on at the, the second half of the season for Kentucky. So I, this pick now for the Hornets is is a really interesting one to see in what direction they go because this tests the the Dave Dufour theory. Do you go with the best player available? I, I I'm in agreement with Dave that you always do. And if that's the case, is it a point guard? Because, you know, you also have Malik Monk there. So something else to consider with the, the Charlotte Hornets. Who, who would you like to see a team like the Hornets? What kind of player would you like to see them take? Though? Good question. Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, again, uh, with the Walker issue up in the air, um, you know, I would, it feels like they, they should want to get a big. They want to get a, a long athletic big who's still left. And I got to look, now I have to look at my notes to see who's left. Uh, I mean, is that Michael Porter Jr.? Like it, it, now I'm getting in the position here, uh, 11, 12, 13, where I feel like that's a good place to try and get him and hope he does develop uh, over a number of years or whatever, or comes back and plays like they think he can. Yeah, this is around the time when I expect him to go as well. And look, after 11, which the Hornets, we'll see what they end up doing. Woj is now reporting, actually, Wojbaum, that uh, they're discussing a trade possibility with Phoenix because Phoenix wanted to get back into the lottery and could be going after Gilgis Alexander. And so that would be interesting. There's been a lot of talk recently about how the, the Suns are very interested in Aaron Holiday from UCLA. I don't think they would take Aaron Holiday at 11, but
But if that's who you love and you feel like he could be your point guard of the future, then I'd say, you know, go for it. He had a tremendous year this year and obviously has NBA pedigree with two brothers who are in the league and, and have been successful in the league. Uh, but the, the other interesting thing to point out is if the Hornets do not take uh, Michael Porter Jr., which I don't expect them to, the Clippers have two picks back-to-back, 12 and 13. I know Jerry West loves Jerome Robinson. That's something that I know for sure. Okay, That could be one of them. And then the other one could be that Michael Porter Jr. This is the perfect situation. If you have back-to-back, back-to-back, back-to-back picks in the lottery, why not take a flyer on one of them? This might be the right situation and get a guy that has that crazy star potential. Yeah, for sure. Now, we could talk about uh, Holiday for a second, if you like, because I've watched it for two years now at UCLA, and um, I don't know. A lot of the UCLA people were really high on him and felt like you know he, he should be a, a, a mid-first-round pick. And I just sort of, I don't know, a guy, because he really isn't that tall, and he's, but he's not like a water bug. So how does he, what does he do? What's his, like, how does he, you know, he's, and he's also, I would say he's a bit more of a shooting guard than he is, or a combo shooting guard than he is a point guard, wouldn't you say? Well, here's the thing that was interesting with him. When, after uh, his freshman year, he's a, he's a junior now. He came out after his junior season. But after his freshman year, there was word that Lonzo Ball was going to be joining UCLA. And as the story goes, he was, you know, considering maybe I should transfer, maybe I should declare, you know, what, what should I do with my future hold? And his brothers convinced him to stick around. And they said, you know, when you enter the NBA, you'll be a rotational guy, a six man. You're going to have to come off the bench, be a backup lead guard. This is a great situation for you to learn from. And so they encouraged him to stick around, play with a point guard like Lonzo Ball, who's an NBA caliber lead guard. Um, Alford obviously was in the backcourt at that point. And they said, look, be a rotational guard. That's what your NBA future holds, at least early on. So, why not learn from that? So that was a huge experience. He stuck with it, had a very good year playing alongside Lonzo. And then last year really came into his own. You know, he's a guy who averaged over 20 points a game on nearly six assists a game, had a stretch where he was just dominant in the Pac-12. Um, he is small. He's under six feet tall. Uh, that being said, he's very strong. He's quicker than you think. He can shoot the ball really well. There's really not much that he doesn't do well. He finds people. He's a great leader. And defensively, he gets after it. One of the best things he does is just gets into guys' bodies, gets really low and really disrupts ball handlers and gives every opposing guard trouble. So he was one of the best lead guards in the entire country this year. You know, you put him up there with the Trey Youngs and everything. And so, you know, I I don't know where he'll slip to. Um, I don't even want to call it slip because I don't know that he was projected to go much higher than the late teens. But um, Aaron Holiday could be a guy with with the kind of future that, that you're looking for. For sure. Okay, I, you know, and that's true. I mean, we have these three and D guys we talk about who are typically six six to six nine that could cover uh, wing players, but there also is the bulldog point guard defender that can shoot threes. So that's also one of those really valuable commodities as well that we don't often have a lot of. A guy like Patrick Beverly comes to mind, who like you know didn't have a three point shot in the beginning and really had to work to get it uh, as much as he has it now. You know, which isn't like amazing, but it's there. So yes, in theory if uh holiday is already uh, you know well on his way to being that a really good three-point shooter and if he's got the defensive pedigree yes that that would be a nice uh, addition again i would suspect yeah that's going to be in the you know 15 or beyond 15 to 20 something right yes and we just got the the okay. opponent's pick is shake just alexander and uh, again kentucky look, another one of these one and dones from kentucky a uh, very early kid in terms of 
I don't know how much tape you watched on on him, but you know he's got great height. Um, you know, like I said, six four and a half, got good size. He's long though, not just the the six four and a half. And what was really interesting was he didn't really start much early on in the season, and then uh, about sixteen games into the season, he really came on and got the starting job. And I, I talked to a few NBA people, and they'd watch Kentucky play, and the first thing they'd say, "There's a kid named Quade Green." who was playing ahead of him, and they said, man, there is an outstanding lead guard on Kentucky, and you're thinking, oh, it's quite a green. But really, it was Shea Gilgis-Alexander. Um, you know, he can defend. He's got that great length um, and finds different ways to score. He's kind of a crafty scorer underneath. Still learning the position, still new uh, to the game, but, you know, he can explode for scoring bunches and really was consistent once he was given the reins. I don't know that he's going to be given that role, obviously, with Kemba Walker there, but maybe this gives you the opportunity to either groom him down the road or, you know, you trade Kemba Walker right now because his value is so high. Yeah, I mean, to me, it almost feels like the new coach and James Borrego, uh, you know, maybe they, you know, to me, it's like at some point after X amount of years, it, it just, if it's not working, and I think it's fair to say that it's just not really working in Charlotte, that it's time to move on. And the coach, they made the coaching move, uh, and I certainly feel like it's the same for players. And it just simply means maybe you're not accepting, you know, that you failed or whatever. It's just simply, it just, it just has to, you have to move on. Uh, and now, what, did you see Shea work out at all? I did not watch him work out because right, you know ESPN lists him at six six, not six four. What do you think? Is which which one's yeah, more accurate? Well, his, he was six four. He, it's funny because they go back and forth. At the combine, he was measured without shoes as six four and a half, and that's mostly what I'll go with with guys because that's how I consider. I've always been measured. I don't. I don't know. Look, <laughs> as, as someone who comes from a, a, a family that has some uh, doctor ties, I know that uh, <laughs> right. I know that you know that you don't go get a chance to say, hey, let me put on my tallest right. shoes to go get measured. But, yeah, he's six four and a half without shoes. But when you start to look at measurements that come out of the combine without shoes, everybody is a right. little bit under what they're always listed as. But the guys we've been saying so far, we've been listing their height without shoes. And, you know, so with shoes, yes, six six, and certainly right. has that length. So, well, your, no your family has has horse uh, ties. They don't. They, they measure the horse without the horseshoes on, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, you know, yeah, we do that in in, uh, in the socks as well. So, uh, yeah, but I, he looks really, uh, really kind of still a bit raw, but long and really athletic. I mean, it just seems like every year goes by, we have more and more of these kids who are just sort of six five, six six, six eight, athletic. They all certainly the bigger they are, the more skills they have, the more guard skills they have. So that's what's going to happen. I think the complexion of the NBA is going to slowly change over the next five six years as more and more of these six ten six eleven seven footers come out that can shoot and that can handle the ball it's you know you know it's going to change the league in a very profound way as we i think we had heard about for a long time and just only now i'm kind of starting to handle uh, to see that for sure you know what i mean yeah absolutely now we have uh, another Woj bomb here um the clippers traded for gilgis alexander Oh, uh, sending their 12th pick. Remember, the Clippers have 12 and 13. Right. Send the 12th pick and two second round picks. So basically, two second round picks to move up one slot to get Gilgis Alexander. And what makes that an interesting deal? And the Clippers are going to select for the Hornets Miles Bridges out of Michigan State, who we can talk about in one sec. But I, I think what's really interesting about that is now I also think that the Clippers are not going to take Jerome Robinson out of Boston College. They wanted sort of a taller, bigger lead guard, and now that's where the Clippers are going, which also brings up questions about Teodosic. Uh, well, he's you know, gone. We, well, we know Teodosic. Yeah, right, exactly. He's gone. Well, here's so, the thing. 
Yeah, go and ahead. The backcourt was pretty loaded already, so it looked like they were going to still have some depth in the backcourt. It's interesting. They must really like Gildas Alexander, you know, in order to, you know, the, the second-round picks can oftentimes just be to shed, you know, it can be just a dump for you because you're not, they're not guaranteed contracts anyhow. But just anyway, the, the fact of the matter is to take one of those picks and turn it into Shea Gilgis Alexander tells you what what they think of it. Sure, and it's too bad because Tyrone Wallace with the Clippers was actually really good for them, and they kind of you know yanked him around in the G League and back and forth, and didn't really give him a chance to shine like he could have. Even though even in the little uh, chance he got, he did very well. And he was at six five six six guard that could do a lot of things for them. And so I hope that he gets a shot somewhere. Uh, yeah. And similar, and you're absolutely right. Similar player. It's almost like you take an upgrade version of, of what Tyrone Wallace is and say, oh, we really like what this guy brought to the table. Let's go the next level of it, the next iteration of it, and, and it's Shea Gilgis-Alexander. How much uh, Miles Bridges did you get a chance to watch? I haven't seen much of him at all um, because, and, and I, but I do have my in my mind's eye. I'm picturing like this connection to like uh, Draymond Green for some reason. Am I close to that? Well, he's a physical player. I mean, same build in a way. He's uh, you know measured at the combine without shoes, six five and a quarter, uh, six six and three quarters inches with shoes. Um, really has been an impactful player. Everyone expected him to be in the lottery last year. He was a big time recruit for Tom Izzo, Michigan State. Uh, you know, he's a guy that's very explosive, very strong, physical build, um, can shoot the three, also attack the rim. We didn't see a lot of, you know, necessarily the mid-range game that I think people might have been expecting, but he certainly developed his game in his second year. And you don't see guys who return after the opportunity to be lottery picks in year one. And that's something that, you know, Bridges is, has done. But, you know, shoots free throw percentage at a really high clip. He's over 85%. He was certainly the man on, on their team. And I, I think that there's a lot that he can bring to the table. I mean, there's plays that you're going to watch from, Miles Bridges that are just going to wow you. And I think he's one of these guys that we could be saying a couple of years from now, how the heck did, did Miles Bridges slip in the draft? And now you start to think if Charlotte and the new head coach are going in this direction, now you're talking about if they keep Kemba Walker, Kemba Walker, Malik Monk, Miles Bridges, you're talking about an explosive, athletic, fun group that could really bring a lot of energy to that arena and to that franchise. Well, here's a question, because Michigan State had these two guys, right, that are getting picked pretty high in the draft. How? They can't make it out of the second round? Well, and even more so, when you watch that game, and you talked about it earlier, playing against a 2-3 zone. I mean, Syracuse had a mediocre year, sneaks into the NCAA tournament, and now they face the second round. Michigan State's loaded, and it wasn't just them. You know, there's other players on that team that were very good. You know, Cassius Winston, they had some shooters. Uh, ben Carter played a okay for them at times uh but i you know langford they they had a ton of talent on this michigan state roster maybe one of the most talented teams tom is not even a maybe one of the most talented teams he's ever had all that being said you know they faced a two three zone and you talked about it i mean coaching wise bridges should have been the guy flashing to the free throw line or somewhere on the high post against that two three he's the perfect guy because he can turn around square up hit or attack you, find other people, and they didn't utilize him, and I couldn't understand it for the life of me. Uh, he's a guy who makes plays and is very solid. I think, in fact, if you're looking at productivity and where a guy could be, you know, sometimes we knock a guy for staying in school an extra year. Why didn't he come out after his freshman year? Why wasn't he one and done? He could have been a lottery pick next last year. He worked on his game. He got stronger, got more physical, 
And I think his numbers could have been even better if he wasn't playing on such a loaded team. So this, I think, is absolutely wonderful for, for the Charlotte Hornets. Uh, for sure. And then the other question then is like, a, at least a team like Duke, who had another two guys in this uh, high in the draft, at least they made it pretty far in the tournament and did had a good, you know, successful season. But you wonder, like, at some point when you have this many good players, like, you know, that should that should be a title. It should be a final four. That should be right all the way through. So I suppose we still have enough wild happenings in the, in the uh, one and done of the NCAA tournament. You never know what's going to happen, which is why I suppose it makes it so fun. Um, yeah. So we now have, um, okay, uh, we have the trade that went through. So basically the Clippers are going to get Shea, Gildish, Alexander, and the Hornets were going to get Miles Bridges, we just talked about, in two future second-round picks. So uh, interesting. So Clippers, you know, um, I don't know. I mean, I suppose the Hornets uh, drop down one but then get a couple of second-rounders. So it seems like it's kind of a wash as far. The second-rounders usually don't really, uh, you know, give you that much. Um, so basically a flip of picks, you know, yeah. that was what you say. So it seems, it seems like the Clippers, you know, that, that may have just been a phone call and, and saying, Hey, it's, you know, we, we really like him, you know, whatever I, we wanted to guarantee. It looks to me though, they definitely want their guy. I mean, yeah. and they moved up one spot to get him again, very minimal risk. You're, you're giving up your second round picks. There's not, there's not much value in, in non-guaranteed contracts. And oftentimes you don't even want those picks. So it might've just been an insurance policy. To guarantee they've, they've maybe started to hear that you know the, the hornets were interested in him but again if the hornets really wanted him two second round picks wasn't enough for them to move the needle and 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 turn around and not take him sure the, the, now Woj is now reporting that the nuggets uh you know first the clippers are going to pick at 13 but then the nuggets have the 14th pick and denver is well according to Woj is considering now michael porter jr which I mean, if you can get a player who has the potential of Porter at the 14th pick in the draft, uh, I think you have to take him. And and I understand there's risk there, but at the same time, at, at 14, that gives you such a great opportunity. If he doesn't pan out, you can live with that, unlike being the Kings at number two. Right. I, I agree. I never felt good after that report uh, with him getting picked anywhere higher than, yeah, maybe mi- middle of the first round tops. The Clippers, uh, Shams is reporting the Clippers are going to select Jerome Robinson with the number 13 pick in the draft. So what's your scouting report on Boston Collins, Jerome Robinson? Well, it, it's funny because I just said it, it looked like to me when they got Gilgis Alexander, I said there's no way they're going to get Jerome Robinson, who I've been hearing all along how much Jerry West loved Jerome Robinson. They love the kid. Um, here's, here's the deal with him. He's, he's about six, five. He's got really good size. Uh, officially I'll, I'll let you know, um, you know, what, what he tested at, but, but basically Jerome Robinson is, uh, six, four, six, five with shoes is what he ended up testing out. Um, but he was a big time scoring guard at BC. I mean, he was one of the best scorers in the ACC can really fill it up. He could shoot it. He's very athletic. He can take it to the hole. He's got a lot of talent. The thing about Jerome Robinson was he was playing off the ball, and he really has basically been proclaiming that he could be a point guard at the next level, a guy that not only can score but has that size. We didn't really get a chance to see it at all at BC. Uh, a good distributor but didn't show like this unworldly, otherworldly vision. But then again, when you're not the guy with the ball in your hands at all times, um, you know that that sometimes can uh, be a different story. So 
Jerome Robinson, a guy who can catch it, shoot, score it. He's going to be an excellent scorer. He can play off the ball, can play the point. And I think you start to look at two guys for the Clippers now in which they add to the backcourt. And again, what are we talking about? Length, size in the backcourt, and now some shooting ability as well as some athletic ability. It's going to make them. Uh-oh. And we lost Adam. They're dropping like flies. Uh, oh, are you back? Okay, cool. Well, yeah. So we, we pretty much we we pretty much got you know the the, the Jerome Robinson scouting report. And yes, and I really like what I've seen too. Is a real. I mean, what what you look at when you see the highlights is basically you know real sort of traditional shooting guard, right? Like that Clay Thompson mold. Uh, I would be really excited if it did indeed if he indeed did indeed turn out that he could be a combo guard and play both positions like a CJ McCollum almost. Would you say? Yeah, I think that's the, I think that's sort of what the future holds for this kid is what they're they're hoping for, and that's been a, a comp that a lot of people are using the CJ McCollum comp because he's a guy who scores so well, and then if he can slide over and, and play some point and, and combo guards, you know, the way of the future. The interesting thing, and, and I'm always curious from the NBA perspective, you know, especially from from someone like yourself, is how much do you believe you need a lead guard? You talked about it earlier, guys looking over at uh, at the head coach and calling plays. And obviously certain coaches are going to call more plays than others, but how much do you need just one guy that commands your team, that's calling out plays, that understands everyone's role in the offense? How important is it to have just that singular guy? Well, I was referring to the coach doing a car I know, line. I know you were. So, but but you, you mean like on the floor have that general? Is that is that what you're asking? Yeah, I'm saying I'm saying we know that certain coaches are going to rein guys in more, like Carlisle, and call right. the plays out, and other guys will let them play. But I'm saying in general, you still need someone out there that's calling plays when they need to be called, getting guys together when the team starts to collapse a little bit. Right. How important do you think it is just to have one guy that that, that has that role? I think that there is importance to have that because invariably it will break down. You need to get organization going and you need to have a guy who can kind of dribble the ball under pressure and still be able to manage that. And I always thought it's nice to have that guy who's like, you know what? This guy hasn't gotten a shot in a while. we got to get him a shot because we know he's going to play harder on defense when he touches the ball. That kind of a thing. That said, as we move more to a, a read and react offensive scheme for a lot of teams where they're sort of flowing and motion you know, 50, 60, 70% of the time, then it it is a little bit less important to have a guy that's going to be like sitting there holding up a fist or holding up two fingers and calling a specific play, right? Um, you know, there's going to be an, an initial alignment that will then key certain actions depending on where the ball goes, what the defense does. So all of a sudden, you know, like that's why the triangle was like that. You never really needed to have a guy that's sitting there every time down, pounding the ball and holding up a bunch of fingers. And I think if, if we've if the triangle has died, that part of the of way offense is run is, is certainly not. So that is still alive and well and, and burgeoning and, and flourishing. So um, that, that might be a little bit less of a, of a concern, whereas now every stoppage of play, every out of timeout, is when the coach has that control to call those plays. And so, yeah, that, that Chris Paul guy is probably going away even more than you know, we, it, that is apparent now. Now, let me ask you this, though. What about from a psychological standpoint? Because I'm always curious about that. You know, the team all of a sudden is giving up a run. Guys are struggling. That leadership, you just feel like it doesn't necessarily have to be from the guy bringing the ball up the court? 
Right. Well, I mean, we see Kevin Durant's the guy that does that for the Warriors, right? He just is like, F this, I'm going to score and take over because we need it. Uh, that Michael Jordan mentality, the Kobe Bryant mentality. Uh, yeah, that is what you probably still need. And I think that obviously the Warriors are really excited to have that because they didn't necessarily have that without Durant, right? Like Clay and Curry, uh, those guys, you know, Curry has it a little bit, but he's invariably going to create a shot for himself that might be pretty damn hard. Whereas at least Kevin Durant's going to do a spin move and elevate from 15, 16, right. you know, right. or post up and score. And that's what they didn't have. So, yeah, you're going to need that, A, because if you want to win a title in the NBA, it's going to have to go through LeBron. You're going to have to go through KD and those kind of, and AD and all those kind of players. So you're going to need that no matter what. Um, so that is important. Uh, but again, that doesn't necessarily mean you need to have a, a lead guard controlling that. That, that is, you know, he, the guy that Kevin Durant brings it up and he will shoot it. Um, cause I'm trying to think of how often when he hit a big bucket for them, I kind of feel like a lot of the time he brought the ball up too. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I definitely think, or at least ran some type of ISO play where he caught it and then set it up himself. And, and so now you're talking about at least he's still the one initiating, you know, somewhat of the offense. Right? Yeah. And it's yeah, and less of like, you know, Curry just sort of pointing him out and just throwing it to him and everyone clearing out, yeah. you know, where whereas back in the day, Magic would have been like, you know, he would have been like waving everybody over and tossing it into Kareem and then, you know, giving him all the space in the world. Like I feel like and that was probably all Magic deciding to do that because he knew what they needed. Uh, I, this, it's not the same game anymore. It doesn't if you, happen. If you tell me the point guard position is going away for good, I'm, I'm really going to start to cry now. You will break my heart because I have such love. But, but before you even before you even <laughs> jump in on that, so Michael Porter is the, is the pick right now for the Denver Nuggets, and and so let's talk about Porter for a moment. I mean, you're talking about a guy who has length. You know, um, one of the things that's interesting is he's been compared to uh, Carmelo Anthony. But here's the thing. And I'll, and I'll give you a good example of what we were discussing before in terms of actual height. Carmelo Anthony measured out at three inches shorter than Porter did at the combine. Porter, six, nine and a half without shoes. So certainly has that length. We know about his three-point shooting. We know about the athleticism. Uh, he, he is almost like your prototypical. You want to start to talk about Kevin Durant. We don't think when you watch Kevin Porter play, I mean, when you watch Michael Porter Jr. play, you don't think of him as a guy that's Kevin Durant like just because you don't even think that he's that tall. You know, you just it's it's hard to almost imagine. But six nine and a half without shoes, this guy has that crazy length that that could be really special at the next level. And he was unbelievable as an athlete and as a shooter at the high school level. The only game in college that he really played a full game in before the injury was Missouri scrimmaged Kansas. He's, right. He scored 20 points in that game, shot 6 of 20, uh, but showed the some explosiveness, showed his ability to shoot the three. We have not had a chance to see Michael Porter at the college level, which, you know, we, we was sort of the case before the one-and-dones anyway. It's sort of the same type of thing, except for the fact that Porter, we don't know if he'll ever be healthy. And I know you've said to me that it certainly scares you, though, what his future looks like from a health perspective. Yeah, I mean, you know, the back injury, surgery stuff. I mean, ask Steve Kerr what he thinks about back surgery, and he, he's not even playing anymore. Um, that's a real scary thing, especially for a guy that plays above the rim like he does. And, you know, listen, the, what we have seen, the little footage we have seen is impressive. He's got skill. He has the body. Uh, he's got the pedigree. 
So, you know, but again, that's why it simply wasn't worth uh, screwing around. Now, granted, you know, five years from now, we could be like, oh, what an amazing job they did to pick him and they got a great value and all that stuff at that, at that position. But again, uh, when we go back and realize the, 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 the situation, without question, this is where he should have been going in the, mid, mid of the middle of the first round. And the Nuggets now have a guy. Now, here's the question. Do we have any feeling that he's going to come in ready to play in October? Uh, well, I think he'll play. I mean, he, he really is at least pushing that narrative. I mean, he did come back. We did see him come back at the end of the year. He played a couple games. Um, and, you know, there's sort of different ways to look at that. And, again, he's only 19 years old, and he just um, he just turned 19. His birthday – or actually, no, sorry. He's actually going to turn 20 in a week. Okay. Um, so something else to consider. But the thing about it is, you know, he came back, and there's two ways to look at it. You can say if he sits this thing out – you know, and does what's best for him physically. Like, you know, what do you look better as as a, a prospect? Whether you just sit out for the remainder of the year or do you try to rush back and play with your teammates and, you know, make a go of it? What's going to look better in the eyes of scouts? Which is better long-term for your health? And I think he felt like he was well enough to play, played in a couple games, and really the sad part was when you watched Michael Porter make his return late in the season, it was, it was, it, it, it was so sad. There, there's no other word for it because – Here's a guy that didn't move like he used to move. You know, like it's watching a guy that like later on in his career when you watch a player get older and they can't move the same way and they've got injuries and they're stiff and they're nervous to use certain moves. And that's how he was. He wasn't dunking balls that he was earlier. And he just played with such intensity and sort of this carelessness, care, carefree nature when he was in high school. And we just did not see that when he made his return. And, and like we talked about earlier, Doctors say it might still be two years before we see him really at 100%. Is a team going to be that patient in this day and age and really wait out to see him two or three years down the line? That's what I worry about in terms of the future. When, for what it's worth, uh, they did a big analysis of players who had the surgery versus who didn't have the surgery and opted for rehab instead. And after, I think, three years, they they were virtually the same. But the surgery did give uh, an advantage in the first year. There was uh, a better play and better production out of those players in the, in the, in the near term. Um, but again, there's the risk of things going wrong in the surgery. As far as we know, the surgery went fine and everything is okay. I know he had back spasms, but that's just probably par for the course in his rehab. But uh, that's the only thing I'd be a little bit nervous about as well, too, is that like if you had that patience, then you probably would catch up after enough time just doing rehab. But, but you know, their argument could very well be then, okay, he, maybe he will get back a little bit quicker than normal. And who knows? Maybe the altitude will you know be lighter on his back and I guess there's slightly less gravity there. I don't know. But anyway... Um, you know, a good pick. Denver's in that really weird situation anyway where uh, they're good but not quite good enough, right? And they have a lot of really good pieces but can't quite figure out their identity. So, um, you know, it's interesting to see, like, if he had gone to a more established team, does that change his fortunes as well where he could play minutes that might be easier because his team is up a lot more often? They're not as intense, you know, uh, games throughout the whole season. Interesting question. You know, is he going to improve the bottom line for the Nuggets this year? Probably not, right? Yeah, I mean, and I think you start to look. No, I don't think he's going to improve the bottom line for the Nuggets this year. And I I just worry about him personally in terms of if we say – yes, I can't believe that teams passed on this kid in five years. I think my thing might be we might be talking about him not playing for the Nuggets at that point, but for another team because they've moved on. So right. they're not getting that immediate production. you know. And, and think about 
you know, you, you mentioned Jalil Okafor earlier, you know, in, in the show. And Jalil Okafor, we, we forget, you know, it's only been a few years, but we sort of look at it like, well, we sort of know who he is at this point. You know, we forget how young these guys are. We're so easy to give up on them early because they start to sort of show necessarily who they are, who we think they are in terms of perception. Nerland's Noel, I think, falls in sort of the same camp. You sort of say, okay, I know who Nerland's Noel is at this point in his career. So in two years, are we going to say that about Michael Porter, even if he hasn't reached 100% yet? That's the question for me. Um, the Wizards right now at 15, going with Troy Brown of Oregon. And the scouting report on, on Troy Brown is McDonald's All-American was highly thought of as he entered college, wasn't really productive this year. Uh, he's one of these guys who's long, um, six, five and three quarters without shoes, another inch taller with shoes, um, average 11 points a game, and didn't really shoot the three ball well. There was nothing in his game this year that you looked at. He wasn't as explosive as people thought. There was nothing really that you looked at and said, okay, that's a transferable skill. But what they like about Troy Brown was an exceptional high school player, showed immense talent coming out last year, and scouts are, are quicker to go for what a guy has done over the course of his high school career than in the one year of productivity in college, which is interesting. But um, the other part of it is, and I think this is huge, he's 18 years old. And that's, again, what you're talking about with kids like this. It's where does he project in three years? You know, where is Troy Brown going to be? You know, is he going to be at the level of a guy that's, you know, a 21-year-old, what we're seeing throughout the league? Right, and that, and it's a little frightening because you know to try and factor anything that happens in high school to what might happen in the NBA is a little bit con- uh, concerning. Certainly, his stats don't like jump off the page. Eleven point three points per game, uh, six point two rebounds, three point two assists, and he you know he shot you know under thirty percent from three on only three attempts. So you know again, I, obviously they're they're you know hopefully they can fill a void there and and somehow um, you know train him to get better, um, perhaps. This means they're going to keep, I guess, Wall and Beal together. You know, maybe if they got a really great guard coming in that they could somehow say, well, maybe let's retool. And like I mentioned earlier, I, I think it's too late. I think the Wizards have missed their shot with what this team, and I think it's time to break it up. And I said it, I said it last year before the season started, and I think, it's, and I think they didn't prove me wrong. Um, it's, it's over. It's not working with what they have. So um, it would, this would have been an, almost a nice time to see. Maybe we can you know, develop the next guy. Troy Brown, though, doesn't strike me as the player that could be like, oh, we're going to bring him in. We're going to get rid of Beal and let him take the reins and develop. Does he to you? No, no, no. He's certainly not that guy. I mean, he's total project at this point. There's not any productivity you're getting. You know, you talk about Michael Porter Jr., you think might be a superstar, but you know you're going to have to wait two or three years. Even mm-hmm. in that case, I don't know what you're – ultimate ceiling is with Troy Brown, but it's that same thought process that you're right. waiting a couple of years before you really. Right. Like, like Luka Doncic, for instance, would have been that guy. Like if the Washington Wizards could have gotten him, right. Then they would have like, Oh, we can move on from either wall or Beal and, and start over. Uh, in fact, you know, that would have, it wouldn't have been it's too bad. They couldn't move up because if they could have done that, they could have traded the wall. Uh, I would have liked to have seen a big backcourt, Doncic and um, and Beal in the backcourt together, and uh, and and get get something good for Wall and and, and retool. But we'll have to wait and see. Well, I mean, listen, Adam, we've been at this for um, you know an hour and a half. Yeah, yeah, it's been a lot of fun. I, there's some guys still uh, still on the board that I think are are interesting and, and worth just mentioning, not not going into depth on. Sure. Kevin Herter is one of them uh, for people that. Love Clay Thompson. I, I think he's a poor man's Clay Thompson. He's similar height, six seven. Uh, the kid's really uh, got, I think, a, an extremely bright future. He's young. Uh, he was Maryland sophomore this year, but still only nineteen years old. 
So, you know, where's he going to be in a, in a couple of years? Uh, can pass the basketball, uh, has good length, can defend, I think perfect, like three and D guy, best shooter in the draft, in my opinion. And uh, for two other guys that are comp guys, Chandler Hutchison of Boise State is a six, seven wing player who can shoot it, put it on the deck. He reminds me a lot of Doug Christie, actually, moves okay. sort of the same way as Doug Christie. And then, uh, Another international player, we're not going to get many of them in this draft, certainly not in the first round. Maybe this might be the only other one, is Elia Kobo, who's a lefty lead guard, who shoots the ball really well, is kind of dynamic with the basketball, reminds me of Nick Van Exel. So there's some of the comps that you could see as we, as we work down the line. I think Grayson Allen will be a first-round pick, and we mentioned earlier Dante DiVincenzo, some of those other shooters that are good that I think are going to have a home in the league. Sure, and I, I keep your eye on DiVincenzo. If he gets into a good situation, I think he could be a really good guard and surprise a lot of people because he's got that, I, I guess we can't even say sneaky good athleticism. He's just got good athleticism, right? Yeah, no, he definitely has good athleticism. My brother compares him to Bradley Beal, which I think, you know, oftentimes yeah. guys aren't, aren't willing to do the white-black comparison, but I think that, you know, he can really shoot the ball. He's got a great-looking form. I mean, maybe the prettiest jumper of anyone in, in the draft. Yeah. And just, yeah, he, he's really athletic. The thing is, we only saw it really in the national championship game. Where do you, what do you make of that? You know, he's a redshirt sophomore at, at, at Nova. But again, you, you talk about guys with that system in place. And I don't mean that as a negative, but more so a system that churns out really good basketball players who play unselfishly, play the right way, as Larry Brown says. Sure. But yeah, I really like Dante DiVincenzo. Yeah, and it's, it's powerful. He's got powerful, good bounce. So always good to see. Uh, well, listen, uh, great breakdown so far. We'll have to wait and see what happens and how that plays out. And uh, maybe we'll do another podcast uh, in the next couple of days once it all shakes out and we can do our sleepers. But uh, Adam, thanks for coming on. Thank you, Dave, wherever you are out there. Sorry. Yes. Uh, for this crashing and burning, but we will. Uh, I'll talk to Wirecast and get it fixed. I hope. Uh, and thank you guys for joining us as well for the nice, the nice live show and good questions and good response. So, don't go anywhere. We'll be back. We'll be here all summer doing videos. Adam, will you be back on the podcast? We'll talk more about these picks. And thank you so much for coming out, everybody. And don't forget, a B-Ball breakdown. We're not a channel. We're a conversation. You in? You and Adam? Always, always. <laughs>